Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. When we read our Bibles, we understand that the Son of God was sent on a mission by God the Father. And God the Father first gave him everything. He put everything into his hands. And the Son of God was born as the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he revealed the Father. He accomplished his mission, uh, the salvation of sinners. He ascended into heaven, into the very presence of his Father, as the triumphant Savior. And he's coming back again to establish the final victory as, as the reigning king. And our faith and hope, and I speak of these as one thing, our faith and hope is in Jesus Christ. Our faith and hope is in God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our faith and hope looks to Jesus alone for the salvation that only he can provide. He accomplished it, our salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And our faith and hope looks to Jesus as not only the Savior, but also the example to follow. We certainly... In following the example of Jesus Christ, we don't follow his example by saving, because we cannot save. But we can see how the Father dealt with his Son, and see the ways of God, and, and walk in those ways. And God, in the Old Testament, dealt with believers according to his ways. And we are to know God, we are to know his ways. And we're to walk in those ways. And we are to expect the Lord God to be faithful to His Word, to His promises, and to His ways. Well, what is the way of grace? We certainly want the unmerited favor of God to be upon us. We want God's blessing. We want His favor. So how do we walk in the way of grace? in the expectation of God's favor. And the Bible gives a, a principle, and it is the principle by which God operates. And that principle is simply stated, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want to take that passage and speak of it with reference to Jesus Christ, because uh, Jesus Christ humbled himself in his ministry. The incarnation was humbling to God and to Jesus Christ. It was humbling to Jesus Christ to take upon himself the form of his creation. It was humbling to engage in a ministry in which he was rejected for the most part. It was humbling for Jesus Christ to be arrested and tried and a miscarriage of justice and to be taken and crucified. It was humbling for Jesus Christ in ways beyond our understanding for Him to bear our sins upon the cross and for God to pour out His wrath upon Jesus Christ. All of this is humbling for Him to, be, to experience death and to experience death for us. All of this is terribly humbling. This was the, the cup that He was to drink, the bitter cup that He was to drink. 
And yet the same principle is true of Jesus Christ because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God's favor was upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look at this and we say, well, is that just an extraordinary thing? This is a God with Father with the Son, and it's extraordinary. And I say, well, let us go to the text of Scripture and, and examine this. Because when you look at the Scriptures, you not only see who God is, but you see how God deals with His people, how God deals with us. And it's very important to, to see everything that we can possibly see about God. Because God is always faithful to His Word. And I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 5. And there's a principle given here that is a universal principle. And that universal principle is in verse 5. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If that is a universal principle of God, then this text and other texts of Scripture tell us how to walk in this way. If God has a way in which He operates, and this is the way He clearly deals with His people, deals with us, then we ask the question, well, okay, give me some advice and counsel. Give me biblical advice and counsel. God give me the truth of how to walk on this way. I need to know. This is his principle. I need to walk in that principle. So let me read First um, Peter 5, all the way verses 1 through 11. But I'm going to focus on verses in this statement, God gives grace, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, in verse 5. And then also in verses 6 and 7, which give us an understanding of how to pursue that principle. That's what we need to know. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory which does not fade away. So first he speaks to elders. And they are to submit. They are to submit to God. They are to submit to the chief shepherd. Who is the pastor of this church? The answer is the pastor of this church is God the Father. He is the pastor. Jesus Christ, he is the pastor. I happen to just be an under-shepherd, but I'm accountable to him. But he's the pastor. He is the shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ in particular. Then he says in verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, that makes sense. If you want to see the grace of God, then clothe yourselves with humility. So we need to know, okay, what does that mean? How do we clothe ourselves with humility? Then he says this, Therefore, humble yourselves, here we go again, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, 
steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, strengthen, excuse me, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here we have this word first off to elders, verses 1 through 4 of this passage. Shepherd the flock voluntarily. Be voluntarily serving uh, because you are submissive to the chief shepherd, the, the, the shepherd of the sheep. Then younger men, verse 5, be subject to your elder, others. And use the expression, clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Because there's a principle that God always adheres to. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We'll say, well, where do you see this principle? Well, you can see it in the Old Testament Scriptures. And in fact, when this passage is given, probably in your Bible, if you have cross-references, one of the cross-references that is fairly common in, with this text is Proverbs 3.34. Though he, speaking of the Lord, scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. That's God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Though he, the Lord, scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. And you look in the Old Testament and you see that principle in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and David, and the prophets. And Job, the great suffering saint in the Old Testament scriptures, but you see it in Job. God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it's 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 true in, in the New Testament. Look at we're not only looking at this passage, but turn back, look at James um, chapter four. And James uh, uh, chapter four has a really a, a, a statement of commands, and all of these commands are with, do this with urgency kind of commands. It isn't like saying you should be doing this, it's saying start doing this now, this is urgent, but all of them that way. But the first one and the last two are stated in such a way that it means do this to yourself. It's, it's stated with well, let me just, it's just stated in a way that means take this action with reference to you. So in verse 7 when it says, by the way, in verse 6 you have that principle. There it is. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. If that is the case, then what should you do? Well, notice this list of things that are given here, these series of commands. Submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned. Humble yourself in the sight of God. There's a series of commands. Let me show you. The first one is submit to God. But it's be submissive to God. That's probably a, a good translation of that as long as you understand it as a command. That sounds more like a, uh, just a, a statement, just a, a verbal statement. But it's a command. Be submissive to God. The last two 
Let your laughter be turned. That's a, that's a good translation of, of that statement because it's stated in that way. It's a command. Let your laughter be turned. Be humble yourselves in the sight of God. So these commands are, are commands, this, this submissive, and your laughter be turned, and your be humble, in this passage, t- gives you a key. Because these are things that you not only do, these are things that you do with reference to yourself. There are times in the Bible when you need to talk to yourself. And you need to say, self, you need to be doing this. This is something that needs to be true of you. Submissive to God, that's something that you must lay hold of. Let your laughter be turned. You must turn your laughter, and may it be turned with reference to the, the seriousness of the situation that you face. Let it be turned to gloom. Be humble. It's the humble yourselves is the, the statement is just humble, but it's stated in a way that's with reference to yourself. That's why the translation humble yourselves is appropriate. That's what the command is. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. And he will lift you up. So this God gives grace to the humble is not just a statement of kind of a general principle of what might take place. It's a promise of God. And and you need to see that. You will see it in the other text as well. But it's, it's right here in this passage. And I'm simply saying, in a general sense, when you talk about this principle, it's in the Old Testament. Not only in the statement in Proverbs and other statements in Isaiah as well. But also in the lives of the Old Testament saints, you see it clearly. And then you come to the New Testament, you find it in James, you find it in, in Peter's passage, and, and, and Peter's life gives, gives great significance to this passage as well. But God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Now let me just pull that apart just for a little bit this evening. And I first want to talk about this there's three parts of this statement when you go on and read this. In 1 Peter, turn back to 1 Peter again. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, because of this principle, because this is a, a, a stayed principle of God, therefore, number one, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Number two, that's humiliation. The second part, that he may exalt you in due time. That's exaltation. Third, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We'll talk about that, but that casting all your care points back to that first command. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is trusting him. Humiliation exaltation, trusting Him, depending upon Him, relying upon Him, resting in Him. Most important to see. Now let me pull this apart a little bit. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is also that same kind of command that you see in James. It's a command that you do something to yourself. So this is a talking to yourself kind of command. This is one of those things that you have to say, okay, this is something 
I must do to me. And I say that because God is the God of circumstances, but your circumstances do not humble you. You say, how do you know that your circumstances do not humble you? Sometimes we have a series of circumstances, and the first circumstance hits, and it's like a burden. And the second one hits, and it's kind of like a burden. And the third one hits, and it's like a great burden, and we cry out to God, God, help us, and we feel like, you know, my, my circumstances have led me to God. Your circumstances do not lead you to God. Your circumstances are burdens. There are some atheists that I know that have endured great afflictions. There's a rather famous atheist who is in a wheelchair, and his presence in that wheelchair has not humbled him. His circumstances have not humbled him. They have caused him to take his fist and shake it in the face of God and say, there is no God. So circumstances are not the cause of of humbling. They are the context, I admit, they are the context in which we are encouraged to humble our own hearts. It's very important to understand that. Your circumstances and will never humble you. Your circumstances will certainly get your attention. And your circumstances can show you your inability and can show you your weakness and can show you what you cannot do. But your circumstances can also make you hostile to God. If you have a heart that's hostile to God, they can make you angry. They can make you mad. They can make you bitter. They can bring the fist up, and there it is in the face of God, and there you are with your circumstances. And there are individuals who are facing people who face defiant circumstances that are horrible circumstances. They take their fist and they shake it in God's face. So this passage is not saying circumstances make you humble. Humility, as well, is not belittling yourself or demeaning yourself. I'm trying to talk about this first part about humiliation. What is going on in humiliating circumstances? Jesus Christ was humiliated he was humbled by his circumstances. And he becomes a, a, a great example of that, as we said this morning, when Peter wanted to fight against the, the will of God. Peter didn't know that he was fighting against the will of God. But in the passage, it says Jesus knew. He had past knowledge of what was taking place. He knew exactly what was going on at this time. Peter did not know. In one sense, when Peter pulls out the sword and he says, I'm going to defend the Lord, you know, from Peter's standpoint, from my standpoint, I say, bless his heart. That's a, that's a, that's a wonderful thing for Peter to do, to stand up to, to all the oppression and to say, I'm, I'm, I'm against what is taking place. I'm going to make sure this never happens to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter already had that conversation with Jesus once, but he's going to have it again with him. But he takes the sword up. And, and the Lord says to him, put the sword back in the sheath. And he says, you do not understand it, that this is the cup that I must take it. And, and Jesus Christ did not take the sword. He took the cup. And he drank the cup. And the picture of that is taking the cup and drinking it 
saying, this is good. The cup is bitter. Tastes terrible. He takes the cup and he drinks it. What is the cup? Well, it's the awful things that took place to Jesus Christ upon the cross, bearing our sins, bearing the wrath of God, suffering in our place for our sins, suffering death, the crucifixion. The, the whole of it is, is, is just awful. That's a bitter cup. But Jesus Christ says the sword, he didn't need the sword. He could just say to the people, as I said this morning, be gone. And they'd be gone. The sword? No, the cup. Take the cup. And when you take the cup, you're drinking what God has put in the cup. It's a picture of, of, of submission to God. And in the circumstances of life, there's an important part of your circumstances where the circumstances can be bad for you, the difficult for you. You can have problems that you cause, you yourself cause. You can have problems that are caused by others. You can have problems that are caused by Satan and the host of darkness that is about us. And those things can be difficult, and it would... It would really be one, really nice if all of the, the problems of life came with, you know, like a fortune cookie that you could break it open and see what God is doing. It would be wonderful if God says, well, I, you know, here's what I'm doing in your life. I just want you to know for about, you know, eight months you're going to struggle with this and then it's going to be fine. I'd say, okay, that works for me. Eight months, I'll put up with that. Two years, I can do that. This is going to be a severe problem. But this is, I'm doing this in order that you may grow in your spiritual life. I say, okay. But our problems don't come like fortune cookies. They come without explanation. Jesus knew his mission. He took the cup anyway. Whatever we face, we'll never face anything like he faced. But he took the cup. And that taking of the cup is saying, I'm taking, Father, what you've given to me, and it is, I would rather take the cup than the sword. I would rather take the cup than to walk away from what you're about to do. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm drinking this because you are good, and you are right, and you are true, and what you're doing is exactly right. So humility is not belittling self, and you know, when somebody... You know, if, if you're a humble person, it's not when somebody comes in and says, you know, you did a really nice job, and you immediately say, no, I didn't do a good job. I'm a, I'm a horrible person. I'm just the wretched. You know, you can say that, but it's, it's not true. Submission is, is to come to the realization of who you are. The realization of who you are. Jesus knew that he was the Son of God, the Son of Man. He needed to take the cup. It was vital for our salvation. It was vital for the glory of God. He knew he had to take the cup because he knew who he was. And he knew what he was doing. We need to know who we are. You can always look at yourself and say, I am the creation of God. I was made in the image and likeness of God. That's true of everyone on earth. That makes you special. It makes you distinct. You're an image bearer and you're in the image and likeness of God. In such a way that God says, if anybody ever touches you, they've laid their hand upon me. Because you're made in my image and you're made in my likeness. That's why we're very careful what we do with other people. Even how we talk about them. 
But you're made in the image of God. That's always true. And I never, you know, to say, well, no, I'm not made in the image of God. I'm just a worthless worm. Well, I am. There's a sense you can speak of your sinfulness as being a worthless worm. But you are image in the image and likeness of God. That's who you are. Furthermore, I am now a child of God. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's who I am. But I'm also a servant of God, a slave of God. I am under his authority. And so the responsibility of the Christian life is always to line up under the authority of God. Always to under up, uh, line up under the word of God. And we wander from that place often. And we're over here. And sometimes the afflictions and the difficulties of life cause us to come back and say, no, no, I need to be here. And when you go from here to here, that's humility. Humility is not saying, I'm awful, I'm terrible, I'm disgusting, and, and demeaning self. It's saying, my rightful place as one who has made an image of God, who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ, is to be under the absolute authority and direction of the will of God. That's where I ought to be. And the Christian life is about this whole process. This is what we are in the Christian life. We're wandering away from it and we come back, we're coming back. And, we, and the Lord brings circumstances and difficulties in our life to bring us to this point of saying, this is who I am. And God, if you have brought these circumstances into my life, they are here because this is what you are doing for me. This is good. Not that the circumstances are good. They're bitter. But God is good. Because he's used these circumstances to bring me to the place where I'm lining up under him, saying, I want to do your will. I want your way in my life. I know that what you are doing is right, though I don't understand it. That's humility. Lining up. I always think that's just, you can look at your life and say, here's, here's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and you should be lined up next, right Right directly. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They never get out of line. They are one. But here we are underneath here. We're like the, you know, the pendulum of a clock. We're going back and forth like this all the time. Our proper place is to be lined up directly under him. And that is humility. And notice what the text says. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It doesn't say humble yourselves from the stupid place that you are in life. Or humble yourself and make yourself worthless in the sight of others. It says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That means you're lining up under Him. I'll say again, when God references His finger, it's something that's very precise. He wrote the Ten Commandments with the finger of God. Like you see the, the finger writing on the wall in the, in the days. When there's, there's something very precise, you see the finger of God. When you see the hand of God, in reference to the hand of God, it's very personal. God puts his hand upon us. He holds us in his hand. So thankful that we have the, the assurance that Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, holds his sheep in his hand. He, it, it's very personal. And when he speaks of the arm of God, then it speaks of, of his power, his mighty arm. But here he speaks of humbling yourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
That means in the face of all the circumstances that you encounter. You humble yourselves by saying, God, I'm thankful that I am in your mighty hand. Whatever circumstance you're facing is not greater than the mighty hand of God. The might and power of a sovereign God, you're lining up under Him. Whatever your circumstance can be, it may be, God could remove it immediately. He does not because He loves you. That's hard to say, it's hard to understand, but that's, it's just true. But God wants you to line up under His mighty hand. We, in Sunday school, we're talking about Joseph. And Joseph being, whether he is an example to us or whether we don't have the whole story and we're talking about whether Joseph was cheerful in prison or whether he was um, maybe grumpy in prison. And, and you, know, you can look at all that and the scripture uses him clearly as an example. It's a comparison against the, the ones who are evil. There's a lot to be said for the comparisons and there's nothing ever that is said in a critical manner of Joseph whatsoever. But what I can tell you is that Joseph's circumstances were difficult. I mean, I don't want to be in an Egyptian prison today, but I don't want to be in an Egyptian prison 3,700 years ago or something like that. It, it's just not something that I want to do. So Joseph is in prison. What, what is going on with Joseph? Well, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I assume that he had days where there were dark days. They were difficult. Was he depressed? I don't know. Was he discouraged? I don't know. Was he always walking around with a smile on his face? I doubt it. That would be uh, more like Jesus Christ, one who can have the, the, the purity of joy. So, so Joseph's made out of the same stuff that we're made out of, so if you're ever discouraged in the darkness, I'm sure he was too. But one of the things that is, is noteworthy with reference to Joseph and is what you know is that he never lost sight of God in, the, in that. That's one of the things that's very clear throughout that whole passage. And while Joseph is in prison, one of the things he has to tell himself, there's two things he has to tell himself. One is, I'm exactly where God wants me to be. And I want to say, when I want to say that statement, I'm exactly where God wants me to be, the next word that comes out of my mouth is, wants to be yikes. <laughs> I don't know if that's a biblical word or not, but it's like yikes. I'm, God has us exactly where he wants us to be. But there's a second part of this that is always true. And that leads us to the second part of this passage, and that is humiliation is always followed by exaltation. You say, always? I say, yes, always. How do you know that? Because it says so in the text of Scripture. God resists the proud. Notice how this reads. God resists the proud, but it does not say, and he just might give grace to the humble. He just might, maybe he will, maybe he won't, we don't really know. This is a promise. God resists the proud, that's a promise. So when, in, when, when sinners depart and they go over here, they not only face their own sinfulness, but they face the resistance of God. He resists those who have rebelled against him, have sinned and turned away, 
are corrupt in all of their being, and they've gone in this direction. They're alienated from God. The text of Scripture says, this is my promise. I resist them. But God's promise is also, but I give grace to the humble. Always. Always. And the Puritans, Thomas Boston in particular, talked about the grace that he gives in in two ways. He said the first grace is the grace he gives in this life. Because he always gives grace in this life, but he gives grace in this life. And sometimes when he gives grace in this life, it is but a respite of grace. Because there's always another problem. Have you noticed your life? If you live very long in your life, some of you are very young and some of you are a little older. But one of the things that we recognize is that when you live life, you go from one problem to the next, don't we? And we like it when one problem gets resolved. We go, that's great. And then we turn around and there's another one. And sometimes when we're facing problems, we think, this is the big problem of my life. We get through that and I say, well, that's what I used to think. But now we've got other ones. And then we can have many different problems. But Thomas Boston said, you know, when God promises to give grace, sometimes he gives that grace in life. And it's more of a respite that God gives us grace and he gives us his blessing and he gives us his provision and he gives us the answer to our prayer. And he gives us that which we are looking for and, and the resolution You know, Joseph was in prison. What happened to Joseph? Well, he was, as, as we saw in Sunday school, he was eventually taken and put second in command in the land of Egypt. Are we surprised at that? No, that, that's, but that's, that's sort of a respite for him because there are other problems that he had to face. I always really think the exaltation of Joseph is when Joseph stood before his brothers and said, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He had opportunity to really get even, but he didn't. Why? Because he recognized even when he was in prison, there's a humiliation, there's the exaltation. But when Joseph stands before his brothers and say, you know, I'm in God's hands now, I was in God's hands then, this God meant all of this for good. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. You're responsible for the evil you do before God, but God meant it for good. God's accomplishing His purposes. There's always, exalt, there's always exaltation, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying you're going to have troubles all the way through, through your life. There's a second part of exaltation that is always true, and that is the exaltation we experience in heaven. And there are saints who were humbled unto the stake, humbled unto being killed and martyred for their faith and trust in, in, in Christ, being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, what about them? There was no respite for them. I said, no, not then. But when you get to heaven, they're going to tell you that God was faithful to them to the end and to their presence in heaven. And he put them there in heaven. And that's when we really have the provision of exaltation. But there's always the exaltation. That's something you need to have in your heart because when you are humbled by your circumstances, the context, and you line up in the place where you are supposed to be and being faithful to God, that's the critical 
part of humiliation. Lining up as one who's made in the image of God, one who is the child of God, one who is under the mighty hand of God. That means according to God's word and walking in the truth and being faithful to him. And your circumstances don't bring you over here. Your circumstances should cause you to walk here. Sometimes we have to say, Lord, I'm sorry I went here because I should have been here. Well, you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us, but we're walking here. And we keep our eyes fixed upon him. And furthermore, there is this attitude of submission. It's, it's, it's when you come to the place where you say in this walking here, okay, I'm going to walk here because I know that God wants me to do this and I'm going to do it though I don't like it. That's not what's here. What's here is when you walk and you submit to God. And this, this submission is, is, is really to, to agree with God, to, to come to a place where you bow to his authority. And you say, this is what you're doing. I don't understand all that you're doing. I just know that this is where I'm supposed to be. And if, if you could have taken Joseph and said to Joseph, Joseph, we'll take you out of prison. We know God's doing this to you, but we'll take you and put you up in a, in a holiday inn for the, you know, several months to, to get a little respite from that. I think Joseph would say, I need to be where God wants me to be. But I need to be here with a heart that is submissive to him acknowledging that he's God, I'm not God. Because Joseph could have said, you know what, brothers, they took me away from my father. My brothers took me away from my home. I'm so mad at my brothers. And Potiphar, Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, what disgusting people they are because of what they did to me. I was falsely accused. I was faithful to Potiphar. I served him as faithfully as I could, and here I am in prison. And he could have been grumpy and angry, or he could have been my brothers did the wrong thing. Potiphar and Potiphar's wife did the wrong thing. But God is God who has me here. And I don't know what God is doing in my life. But I know that I need to be here because that's where God wants me to be. Did he have dark days? I'm sure he did. Did he have grumpy days? I'm sure he did. I don't have that in the Bible, but I just know he's made out of this stuff. So because he's made of this stuff, I just know that's... We have hard, but he's continually bringing himself back, continually bringing yourself to being lined up under the God who says, I will exalt you. And that's terrific. The third part, and this clock runs pretty fast. The third part, and this is such an encouraging thing. And humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Purpose, divine purpose, that, the purpose of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Let me just say a couple things. I'm not quite done with this passage. In due time. That means his time, not our time. Remember that. In due time. I say, God, I'm lined up here. I'm ready. I'm ready for the exaltation. I'm quite sure I've learned the lesson you want me to learn. I was over here, I grant you, I was over here, I should not have been over here, and I was angry with you, and I didn't, I'm here, I'm ready. And God says, in due time, that means in his time, but it's a time that's coming. And it was interesting, Thomas Boston said, just remember, when you're sleeping, the time is moving towards that time. So even when you're sleeping, you're moving towards that due time. His time? Yeah, his time. And our time can be at a whole lot different than his time, but it's in his due time that he will exalt you. That's a promise. It's a promise he makes to you. Now notice this. Third part. 
casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety, all your worry upon him, for he cares for you. The word casting is a, it's a, it's a, command, it's a statement that's made like a command that's connected to the humbling of yourselves. And, I, and it's because it goes back to the, the primary action, which is humble yourselves in the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you, casting all your care upon him. And the idea of casting your, all, your care is to take your worry, and if this helps you, you take your worry and put it into a, a, the form of a ball, and you take it and you throw it to God. Because that's what this word means. It means to cast all your care means to throw it to him. And when you start to worry in the face of your circumstances and the face of what is going to happen. Here I am, Joseph. Joseph's in a prison. What is going to happen to me? They forget me. I'm here. I'm here unjustly and forgotten. He's got to take all this worry and put it all up and continually be throwing it to God. That's what you ought to think about in your life because what you're going to be is you have to have, you have, to have this, this outlet. This has to be a provision that God makes for us because we're tendency of, the tendency is to like, what is going to happen? What is going to take place? What about these circumstances? Do you understand these circumstances can be destructive? Do you understand what these circumstances can do? And you take, you, you, we're continually taking our worry and just taking it, throwing it to God. Here, take this. You've got to take this. You've got to take this. And the reason why it's stated like this is he, he speaks of this anxiety or worry as a burden or a load of trouble that comes from our lot in life. And we are to cast it to him. The reason, this is great, because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. That's also a promise. He never sees the worry that you throw to him and says, Take care of that. I don't want that. No, because he cares for you. He cares for Joseph when Joseph is in prison? Yeah, he cares for Joseph. He's not only humbling Joseph for whatever reasons that Joseph needs to be humbled. I don't know. God knows. He's humbling him. Why is he humbling? Well, because he cares for him. And he cares for him not only because he wants to take Joseph and you say, well, God put Joseph in these difficult circumstances because he wanted to exalt him and put him on the throne. I say, well, that's true. You see the whole passage. You can read the whole passage. But don't just think that God cares about Joseph when he puts him on the throne. God cares about Joseph here. Because you see, when he's humbling, he's caring. He cares for us. You may say, well, I, I'm really caring about myself in the face of these humble circumstances that I'm in and the difficult circumstances and the trying afflictions and the troubles of life. And when I face all these things, I care about what's happening to me. I say, oh, you do. But not like God who cares for you. In fact, he says, if you start to care, throw them to me because I care for you. So the whole of this process is, is orchestrated by God. The, the whole of this process from, this, from humiliation to exaltation, casting all your care upon Him. It's orchestrated by God in such a way that He cares for you as much in the humiliation as He does in the exaltation. 
But God is taking you from the humiliation to the exaltation. That's where he's taking you. And you say, I'm sure of that. I am positive of that. Why? Because of the, the, the promise of God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God never lies. He always keeps his word. So he says, humble yourself. Line up under the mighty hand of God. You want to see the provision? Get it under the mighty hand of God. So I'm going to line up right where God is the God of grace. And in due time, He will exalt me. It's His promise. He will exalt you. I don't know your trouble. I don't know your difficulty. But I know the mighty hand that can be the solution, that is the solution to your difficulty. And He says, you line up under me. Just line up under me, and in due time, my time, I will exalt you. But what we learn in this whole process is, is the depth of our faith and trust in God, where we can depend upon Him even in the worst of circumstances. That's going to be the testimony that we give in heaven. And we're going to be amazed when we hear the story of the martyrs and the awful ways in which they died. But the story of their saying, you know, I saw the, in the midst of my circumstances, I saw the mighty hand of God, the mighty hand of God upon me. And he cares for me. He cared for me through the whole process. And when you, stand, when you line up under him, when you submit to his authority and you say, all things are right, I don't understand. Submission is not understanding. Submissioning is lining up under the mighty hand of God humbling yourself under his hand, lining up under his authority, lining up under his power, lining up on the pathway where he has promised to bless and living in expectation of him. That's really the, the, the thrust of this, this passage of Scripture. Knowing that all the time the Lord cares for you. You got cares, throw them to him. But you have cares, don't let the cares that you have, don't, don't dwell on them. And the cares that you have, if you take them and hold them in your heart, will cause you to wander over here or wander over here. You'll wander away. He says, take those cares and throw them to me because I care for you now. In the face of these circumstances, because I'm taking you and making you to be more like Jesus Christ. And when you stand in this way, we become more like Jesus Christ, who took the cup and drank it. And we ought to look at the difficulties of our life and look at it as a cup and say, this is what God has for me. God, I submit to you. I know you're in charge of my life. You're the sovereign God. Sovereignty of God is not just a theological principle. It is a practical daily principle of life. God, you are the sovereign God who cares for me. This is my lot in life. I drink the cup of my lot in life, knowing this is what you have for me. Because this humiliation is for the purpose of exaltation. Whether it's in this life or in the life to come, you will exalt me. We are, the, we are the children of God. We are the sons of God. And God will exalt us into his glorious presence. Well, I've gone too long. This is great truth. And I hope you will be encouraged by this truth and see it. And, and it's wonderful to take the word of God and take the word of God, and this may sound funny, but to take the word of God and say to God, have you seen this promise? Have you seen this promise? You know what? 
When people do that to us, I don't really like it. You know, when people come to say, do you remember when you said you were going to do this and you haven't done it? I go, yeah, I forgot. I, uh, you know, we don't like it when people do that. God loves it when we do this. Have you seen this? And God says, I've seen it. It's good. It's true. It's what I'm doing. It's what I'm doing in your life. I'm just checking. Just checking to make sure. But I, I'm pretty sure you keep this. But I'm just, that's what I'm really thankful for. I'm thankful we can take the Word of God and know that it's true and know that it's always true. God gives grace to the humble. Walk humbly with your God. And some of the songs that we were singing were just perfect, uh, especially that last song that we sang was just perfect tonight because it really speaks to the very issue that the saints of old have always known. Nothing new about the Word of God and the truth of God. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We're thankful that your leading hand is upon us. The difficult times of humiliation are indeed difficult for us, but needful that we might see you and see your glory and see your mighty hand. May your mighty hand be upon us. But Lord, we pray that you will give us the wisdom to cast our cares upon you, to throw them to you. All the worry, all the anxiety, all the concern, all the fears, help us to be good throwers and casting all our cares upon you. From beginning to end, you are faithful. We're thankful for the promises that never fail. And we're thankful that when we point to your word, you're always in agreement with the truth you've given. So bless the truth to our hearts. Cause us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.